0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sallie, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, if you would take a moment and find in your Bible the book of Galatians. We'll be in, still in chapter 1 today. As you're doing that, let me ask you a question. Well, actually, it's a two-part question. Whose opinion really matters to you? Now, don't be getting ahead of me now. When you uh, go through life, when you are in your home with your family, when you're on a job with coworkers, when you're in school with other students, peers, friends, when you're out in the community, when you're at the gas station, when you're at the grocery store. When you're on vacation, whose opinion matters to you? Let me phrase it another way. Who are you really trying to impress? Is there someone or even a group of people that might pop into your mind when you consider those questions? Whose opinion really matters and who are you... Trying to impress now, I know uh, I've already heard the the correct answer to that question, but but let me let me uh, break it down a little bit more practically than just an answer. here's how you can tell the true answer to that question. If you find yourself around someone or a group of people and you notice That maybe your speech changes a little bit or your actions change a little bit or you maybe subconsciously begin to speak or act in a way that you think or perceive is what this person or this group of people would appreciate or find uh, desirable or endearing In other words, is there somebody or a group of people you can be around that would cause you to, for lack of a better term, straighten up? Maybe act a little different, talk a little different. Because you want those people or you want that person to think well of you, to like you, to appreciate you. That's how you can tell the true answer to those questions, whose opinion really matters to you? Who are you trying to impress? In other words, you might say, well, I just, I'm just going to be myself. And if they don't like it, that's fine. That's their problem. Okay, But is that really true? That might be the goal. That might be your uh, desire. But does that actually happen in reality? Here's another way you can tell. Have you ever spent some time with somebody? I, I did this. I remember this distinctly in college. I remember where I hung out with this group of guys over a weekend one time, and I caught myself like the next week using an expression. I mean, it was harmless. It wasn't like it was cuss words or anything, but it was, it was an expression that I had never used before, but one of the guys in that group used this expression. I remember thinking, oh, I, I kind of like that. That's, that's cool. So then I started doing it. But I didn't realize it until all of a sudden I thought, well, why am I saying that? I had never said that before in my life. But then I realized that had rubbed off on me. And I wanted to be part of that group. So I had subconsciously changed the way I spoke. I, I didn't set out to do that, but I did it. And it hit me. I, well, apparently, somewhere inside me, my desire or my hope to be accepted or liked was stronger than I thought because it changed my behavior without me even knowing it. Now, Paul wrote this letter to these churches in this area specifically because a group of false teachers had come in and tried to change the way they believed the things they knew to be true about God. That's what this whole letter is about. And as we saw last week, Paul makes a, a proclamation that his, his uh, ministry has come from God, his message has come from God, everything he has has come from God, and so now he's following up on that. We're going to start in verse 6, go to verse 10. And this is what... Paul is inspired to write for our benefit, ultimately, about the importance of the gospel. So let's start in verse 6. Listen to me as I read. The word's going to be on the screen. Follow along. And let's read the word together and, and then see what God has to tell us about it. Galatians 1, starting verse 6. Here's what the Bible says. I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. ...for a different gospel. Which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you... ...and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel... ...contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now... ...if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received he is to be accursed for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God or am I striving to please men if I were still trying to please men I would not be a bond servant of Christ father in Jesus name I pray you would speak clearly to us today that we'd understand and then we'd be obedient and you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, as last week, five little verses. Five little verses. And I will say, uh, this passage is kind of a, a setup Because next week, Paul's going to start talking about his own experience. But right now he's still addressing his audience, which is a group of churches in the southern region of Galatia. And he's trying to uh, encourage them because he, you know, on his first mission, first missionary journey, he's traveling around, he's planting these churches. and then now he's uh, some years removed from that, and he's writing this letter back to because he's, he's heard some things about what's happened in these churches since he's been gone. And very simply, some people have showed up and tried to change the whole message. And remember last week? Where did his message come from? It came from God. It wasn't his message to begin with. It was God's Word. So that's kind of important. So when he heard that some folks were trying to distort things and change things, he had to write this letter back to them. So the first thing he says in verse 6 and 7... Number one, we must not distort the gospel. So I'm going to try to list these points out for you so you can kind of see the flow of his argument. But that's the first thing he says. We must not dis- distort the gospel of Christ. So what does he say at the very beginning? He's amazed. Literally, it's, I marvel. I marvel. In other words, he's heard what's going on. He's considering what's happening. And he's, he's like... A, Almost dumbfounded. What in the world is going on? I know these people. I know what I said to them when I was there. Why on earth is this happening? See, the Galatians, the Christians there, have removed themselves from God. And the word here that he uses, this phrase in verse 6, I'm amazed you're so quickly deserting Him. That's a, it's a military term. It's like when you when you retreat. When you're advancing in the battle and all of a sudden you turn around and go the other way. That's what He's telling them they've done. I can't believe you've deserted quickly. You And who have you deserted? Him. Who's Him? God. They've deserted God Himself. Now, what's, what's happening? False teaching. Change in belief, right? Or, or a, a, an attempt to change belief. So, did Paul say, I can't believe that you are tempted to believe this stuff. That's not the first thing He said. The first thing He says was, you've deserted God. You've deserted Him. So you see that tie-in? When you leave the Word of God, you leave God. Those things are connected. God called them by the grace of Christ into the grace of Christ. And He says, I can't believe, I'm amazed, that so quickly after I've left, now you're deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. A different gospel. Now, there's a couple of words here that Paul's going to use in these first two verses that I I want to call attention to because they're important to understand what he's saying to them. Because look, he says the last part of verse 6 and the first part of verse 7, he says, uh, I can't believe you're so quickly deserting him for a different gospel, but then he says, which is really not another gospel. Alright? So there's two words there that we need to look at. Different and another. Now, the word that he uses for different is heteron. Now you might recognize that a little bit because in in its most common usage, uh, heteron means different. Now, uh, you might... Let me give you an example. When you talk about biology, and you talk about relationship between a man and a woman, you have heterosexual and homosexual. Homo means same. Heteron means different. Right? Is that that clearing it up for you? Paul says, you've deserted God for a different gospel. When you think of it in those terms, in biology, what do you think of? Man and woman. Different. Completely different. complementary, but different. Okay? So, Paul's saying, this is completely different, what you're believing, than what the true gospel is. But then in verse 7 he says, for another, which is really not another. Okay? So the word here means, Alo, is the is Greek word, which means another. So here's what, here's what Paul's saying. You've deserted God, you've left the truth for something entirely different. But then in verse 7 he says, there is no other gospel. There is not another gospel. In other words, the truth that they have from God's Word, there's nothing like it. There's nothing else like the Word of God. There's nothing else comparable to the truth of the gospel. So he's trying to paint that picture, that contrast. There is not another gospel like the one given to us by God. But then he says at the end of verse 7, Except for the fact only there are some who are disturbing you. They're, they're disturbing, they're troubling the churches, these false teachers. They desire even to take delight in perverting or distorting or turning around the gospel of Christ. And you remember what the essence of their message was. okay? If you look at the history of this and you kind of lay it beside the book of Acts and what he's doing and who's, who's coming in there and what they're, they're, they're teaching. They wanted to teach the church that, okay, I heard you believed in Jesus, but if you don't also practice the circumcision that Moses prescribed, then you're not really saved. You're not really God's people. Yeah, I know you say you believe in Jesus and that's enough, but we're telling you that's not enough. So here's what that would equal in our context. Somebody walks in the back door of this church building during a worship gathering like this and says, hey, the Bible's not enough. The grace of of God is not enough for you. Yeah, I know you believe in Jesus and that He paid for your sins on the cross and uh, that's sufficient. Well, it's not. You've got to do this list of things in order to truly be saved. Now, what would your response be to something like that? Yeah, that's nonsense. You need to turn right back around and leave. Or else you can stay in here and hear the true gospel. Right? Those are your options. But that's not the truth. Jesus is enough. Jesus is more than enough. He always has been. He always will be. So that's the, the problem. This, this group of people has come into the church and they're troubling the church by presenting this false teaching. They desire to turn around or distort the gospel. And by the way, Martin Luther, you might hear me throughout the study of this book, you're probably going to hear me quote Martin Luther quite a bit. Do you know why? Martin Luther, during the Reformation of the church, he used, he drew on the book of Galatians a lot because he was fighting false teaching coming from the Roman Catholic Church. And so his text in Galatians that he saw how Paul was combating against the false teaching here, he used that. He leaned on it a lot. Because he was going against the same thing. Okay? Here's what Martin Luther said about false teachers. This happy condition. and The happy condition he's talking about is uh, having the truth of God, having the, the Word of God, the Gospel, the true Gospel. He said, this happy condition, secured by many years of arduous labors, Some lunatic might spoil in a moment. Every teacher of works righteousness is a troublemaker. Let me say that last part again. Every teacher of works righteousness is a troublemaker. That means anybody who tells you you have to work hard and do good deeds in order to be saved and get to heaven, that's a troublemaker because that's nonsense. In other words, that means, well, Jesus' blood just wasn't enough for you. you still got to do these certain things or else you can't get into heaven. Well, last time I looked in John chapter 19 and verse 30, Jesus Christ said, it is finished. And there's a period at the end of that sentence. That means His work on the cross, on our behalf, was sufficient. We don't need extra redemption. Jesus' blood was enough. And and praise the Lord, it it was. We we can't be good enough. I'll say that a hundred times in the next two months. We can't be good enough apart from Jesus to go to heaven. We can't. It's impossible. We have got to have Jesus. I don't know how much more clear I can be about that. If you don't have Jesus, you're not going to heaven. It's just that simple. To remove yourself from the gospel is to remove yourself from God himself. We must not distort the gospel of Christ. Number two, distorting the gospel of Christ brings condemnation. And this part of this paragraph is kind of interesting to me because Paul is writing to it. Now picture this. Okay, I'm, sitting, I'm standing here in front of you speaking to you. Paul was not standing here in front of these churches speaking to them at this point. He wrote the letter. He sent the letter. The letter was being read to the churches. So, that's important because... Let me, let me show you what that tells us about this. If you can imagine someone standing up here and Paul's written this letter to us. How, how about this? Paul's written this letter to the 18 churches in the Edisto Baptist Association in the eastern corner of Aiken County. All right, and dips into Orangeburg County a little bit and Lexington County a little bit, but right here. All right, so let's say let's say Paul wrote us this letter, and when we got it. Like say uh, we're the first alphabetically so in our association. Let's just say we got it first and we read it, then we send it to the next church and they read it. So everybody's standing reading a letter to the church. So here's what we know. When the letter got there, what had already happened? Paul had to hear about the false teachers. Okay? So that means... By the time he heard about it, God inspired him to write the letter. The letter was sent. It arrived at the churches. Guess who's sitting in the room when the letter is being read? The false teachers, the Judaizers. So keep that in mind right here, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, even if we... Now let me tell you who that is. Back in verse 2... Paul has introduced himself in verse 1. Then he says in verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me. Okay, so he's got some helpers. He's got some other brothers that are in the work. You know, they're they're on the missionary trail with him. Okay, so they're helping. So he says, even if we... What What if Paul was to preach a different gospel? Paul himself. What if he just changed his message all of a sudden? Or, or this, this is all hypothetical. These first few questions, hypothetical. So let's look at the, another example. What if the brothers who are with him in verse 2, what if they were to preach a different gospel? Just decide, well, we need to change this around a little bit. We need to make this a little bit more appealing to the audience. Because preachers don't ever do that, do they? I can think of one right now that that's all he does. Oh, just whatever. I just want, to, I want the people to feel good. I just want people to be happy. Yeah. yeah. More than two people already just mouthed his name to me. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. But what if Paul was to preach a different gospel? What if the brothers with him were to preach a different gospel? Or, or better yet, look at the rest of verse 8. Or an angel from heaven. What if an angel came down from heaven and preached a different gospel? See, the, the, the source could be different, but the effect is the same. Because what does he say in verse 8? If we, or even an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel to you contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. The word's anathema. Eternally condemned. And by the way, it's not just a suggestion. That is phrased in the form of an imperative command. If this happens... He's, you curse Him. He's cursed, eternally condemned. Because, because He's changing the truth. He's changing the Gospel. So that's what happened. That's the consequence if you change around the Gospel, the Word of God. If, if God was not um, confused when He said, you don't add anything to it, you don't take away anything from it. He know, God knows, he knows what He meant to say. Right? He wasn't confused. He said what he meant. He meant what he said. And he didn't stutter when he did it. What we have is what God meant to say. So we don't have any business changing it. So that's the hypothetical. But what about the actual situation? I said a moment ago that when this was being read to the church, those Judaizers, those false teachers were in the assembly when it was being read. So then he said, he switches from the hypothetical where he says, well, what if I, or what if we, or what if an angel were to preach a different gospel? Well, it doesn't matter. He's cursed. He's eternally condemned. But then he says, verse 9, As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man, in other words, you could pick, if, Paul were, if Paul were able to be there to, to read his own letter, it would be like this. If he sees the Judaizers, if any man it's like he would point at him, that's who he's talking about. If any man were to preach a different gospel, or a gospel contrary to what you received, different source, same effect. He is to be cursed, another imperative command, eternally condemned. John Stott wrote that to tamper with the gospel is always to trouble the church. You cannot touch the gospel and leave the church untouched. Because the church is created and lives by the gospel. Indeed, the church's greatest troublemakers are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute, but those inside who try to change the gospel. That's the greatest uh, conflict or greatest enemy we have. Because, you know, if someone comes into a church and attempts to change the Word of God, you know who that is? That's a messenger from the devil. That's all they are. That's our true enemy. So, when you... and, and, And by the way, someone... Could potentially do that and not even realize that they were just a pawn in the hand of Satan. They could, they could you might even know and it might even be somebody you have seen or somebody you would recognize but if that's what happens if that's what someone does if they walk into a church and become a part of a church and then try to pervert, distort, change the gospel. They may not even be understanding what's happening, but they are being used by the devil. Because that's his plan. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Did God really say... That's the age-old question. It's the age-old deception of the devil. Did God really say that? He asked Eve. He asked us every day just think about this every single time you have a doubt about what you believe or what the Bible says that is the devil whispering in your ear did God really say that? is that really what that means? because you know my friend they don't think that's what that means really? well your friend isn't Jesus Jesus and neither is mine. I don't, I don't go... Now, I, now, I'm all for seeking godly counsel. And I've received it on, number, on a number of occasions. But I'm not going to another human being to confirm the validity of God's Word. I'm going to Jesus Christ, my Savior. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to talk to me and instruct my mind. And I'm not going to rely on the Word of another person When it comes to the validity and the truth of God's Word. Y'all okay? You understand what I'm saying? God said it. That's all I need to know. I don't need a single other uh, yes vote from anybody else. Because God said it. That is my confirmation. God said it. And the Holy Spirit guides us into the truth. And, and by the way, another little shameless plug. You know what has to happen for that to happen? We've we got to read the Bible. We've got to read the Bible. I, I can't overstate that. We've got to read the Bible. The gospel is our standard. In verse 8, the gospel is what Paul and the brothers have preached to the Galatians, In verse 9, the gospel is what the Galatians have received. And in both verses, just as in the third verse of the book of Jude, this is the, the faith, the gospel that was once and for all delivered to the saints. It's not going to change. So we don't have to worry about somebody walking in and saying, Oh, I got a word from God. Really? Does it match up all this word from God? Because if it doesn't, then yours is wrong. This is always right. 100% of the time, it's always right. If your opinion doesn't agree with this, I'll give you three guesses as to who's wrong. It's not God. If my opinion doesn't agree with what God says, I'm wrong and I need to straighten myself out. Okay? God is always right. The Gospel is our standard and distorting it will have consequences. Number 3, last one. And this is a transitional verse. I mentioned it before. Uh, this is the verse where Paul is going to transition to some of his personal testimony to where he went and what he did and who he spoke to and what he said and how that all worked out. But here's what he says to set that up. This is this is this might be Uh, the most profound verse in this this letter. Serving Christ requires full-time surrender. So Paul is going to ask a couple of questions, and then he's going to make a declaration. His first question, am I persuading men or God? That's what the original word was, persuade. Am I persuading men or God? So persuade, it means to... Uh, To win somebody's favor or to gain someone's goodwill. So, am I persuading men or God? In other words, am I trying to win man's favor or am I trying to win God's favor? What am I after? Remember what I started off with? Whose opinion really matters? Who am I trying to impress? Here it is right here. Am I trying to win man's favor or am I trying to win God's favor? Paul's second question Am I seeking to please men? And that word means uh, to, and this, is, this is all about the introduction. This means to, uh, to accommodate yourself to someone else's opinions or desires or interests. Uh, it, it would look something like this. I really want that person to like me, so guess what? If they have a hobby or they have an interest, I'm going to be interested in that too. That's what that looks like. You ever done that? Somebody said, oh, I, yeah, I love... You might, you might hate fishing. And it's, oh, I love to fish. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, me too. I love fishing. But even though you don't. Or, or fill in the blank. Whatever it is. That's what Paul is asking. Am I trying to please men? Am I trying to accommodate myself to their opinions or desires? So here's the question. Am I trying to fit into man's world? Or am I trying to fit into God's world? And by the way, did you know that the more successfully we blend into the world, the farther away we are from God's design? You ever think about that? Do you have any trouble on the job? Do people disagree with your beliefs? Do you ever have any difficulty getting along with people because they don't see things the way you see them? All right. well, that's a good thing. If you're standing for Jesus and that happens, that's a good thing. If you got no trouble, if everybody just accepts you and you have no conflict with anybody ever when it comes to spiritual things, warning. Warning. It's easy to defend a faith nobody knows you have. Do you hear me? It's easy to defend your faith when nobody knows you have it. If nobody knows you believe in Jesus, you're probably not going to have any trouble. If you never take a stand for the Word of God, you're probably not going to have any trouble. If you never try to tell somebody about Jesus and His Gospel, and the only way to get to heaven and have forgiveness of sins, if you don't ever do that, you're probably not going to have any trouble. But that's the question Paul's asking. Am I trying to fit into man's world or am I trying to fit into God's world? Folks, this world is not the home of the Christian. We are strangers in a strange land. And so if you want to blend in and fit in and be a part of this world, you might want to rethink your priorities because that's not where we should be. Does that make sense? We're not trying to, to be uh, a part of a sinful world. We're trying to be a ray of light in the midst of a dark world. That's what the Christians supposed to be doing. So Paul asks these two questions, and then he makes a final declaration. He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. That's my favorite Greek word, doulos. Bond servant. He says, literally, by the way, it's a, it's a, um, a present tense thing, but it's a, a, a constant situation. So if you were to literally translate that word, it would say, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be being a bondservant. I wouldn't be being a bondservant of Christ. So I wouldn't continually be serving Jesus if I was trying to please men. In other words, you can't have it both ways. You can't please God and man at the same time. So here's what Jesus had to say about that. If you're taking notes, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. The Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus makes this statement. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So he's talking about God and money, right? But here's how that works out in this context. The word used for can, you cannot or you can, no one can serve two masters. The word for can is the Greek word dunamis, power. It's where we get our word dynamite, power. The word for serve is the verb form of that word, my favorite word, doulos, servant. So what he's saying is, literally, no one has the power to serve two masters. You don't have the power to serve God in riches. So in our context, guess what that means? We don't have the power to please God and please man at the same time. That's not possible. Now, before you back away from that, let me conclude by saying this. Here's our personal application. Servants of Jesus Christ serve one master, Jesus Christ. That means we serve Christ to the exclusion of pleasing people. And this is a difficult position for any Christian, right? It's a, it's a difficult position for a preacher. I will tell you that. Because when I step up here to open this Bible and basically preach, I'm I'm trying to read and explain. Read and explain. That's That's what I'm trying to do. So when I step up here to do that, my number one concern cannot be, does everybody like me? You ought to. But you don't have to. But I can't concern myself with that. And, and as, as Christians, we, we really can't concern ourselves with that at all. It, it's, it can be a secondary concern. And it's just like I said, I, I think I said it Wednesday night. My goal when I step up to preach is not, Oh Lord, please help me offend as many people as possible. That's not my goal. But... If I preach God's word in its truth and with its authority I'm liable to offend some people. And and guess and guess guess what? I'm okay with that. We got to be okay with that. It, it's more difficult in the world today it appears. Because everybody, and I use that, I hate generalizations, so please, I know it's not everybody, but many people seem to get offended at everything. And and I'm sorry, but that is just, that's not my problem. My concern is Jesus Christ is Lord, and I've got His Word in front of me, and that's what He told me to preach. And that's what's going to be preached. Jesus Christ is Lord, and that means if you follow Him, you have the Gospel. You are entrusted with the Gospel. And when you share it, you share the Gospel, and you share the truth. And if someone else is offended, that is not your problem. Now, it doesn't mean you be unkind. It means you share the truth of the Gospel in love, in kindness, with compassion. And if you do that, if they are still offended, that is really not your problem. Pray for them. Not your problem. People will be offended. But serving Jesus and pleasing people cannot both be the priority. We serve Jesus first. If people are pleased, that's a bonus. That's a bonus. Let me close with some words from Martin Luther. Martin Luther writes, We do not preach for the praise of men or the favor of princes. We preach for the favor of God alone, whose grace and mercy we proclaim. That is is really the only priority. There, There are other concerns, as I said. Love, kindness, compassion. But, but truth. Truth. God's truth. We have in our possession a gospel message that is truly good news. Jesus Christ, who is Himself God, came to this earth and assumed the form of of a man which means he emptied himself he humbled himself he took on the form of a human being he lived a life completely free from sin then he voluntarily laid down his life and went to a cross he was brutally beaten and killed in order to pay a debt that he didn't owe. He paid for our sins with his life. He, he spilled his blood. And then he rose victoriously on the third day. He came out of the tomb, which by the way you remember, they had to roll the stone away. And it wasn't so he could get out. <laughs> it was so we could get in and see. And then he walked around 40 days, showed himself as victor, and then he ascended back into heaven. Right now, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's praying for us right now. He's been doing that for almost 2,000 years since he went back to his rightful position after he left this earth he's praying for us and you know what he's praying? among other things he's I mean he's praying a lot of stuff he's praying that we would hold on to the gospel and that we'd share it everywhere we go with everybody we meet and do we fall short of that? yeah I do I don't share it with everybody I meet. And that's my fault. But we have the gospel. We need to hold on to the gospel. He's praying, Jesus is praying for us to share the gospel, to share His good news. And we can't worry about pleasing people if we're going to do that. We have to say yes to God and then be kind and compassionate. And let the chips fall wherever they're going to fall. Must pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.